0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com people today. Welcome to the Capital Club Podcast. I'm your host, Brian C. Adams. Tune in weekly to hear from top industry leaders as we discuss relevant topics in the world of business, investing, health and wellness, geopolitics, and more. To learn more about the show, visit excelsiorgp.com slash podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Capital Club Podcast. Today with me, Dr. Richard Orlando. Dr. Orlando is a seasoned advisor with over 25 years of experience specializing in guiding high and ultra-high net worth client families, many of whom lead family enterprises. He founded Legacy Capitals and has a diverse background in computer science, business, and psychology. Previously, he led Merrill Lynch's Global Practice Management Consulting Group and worked in Merrill's family office, garnered recognition in respected publications like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal online. Richard, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Brian, it's a pleasure and looking forward to it. So we're going to start
0: this show, unlike anyone that I've done, over 250 plus episodes, we're going to start talking about love. So I want to hear about your perspective on how love works in the wealth management, asset management, family office context.
1: It's a great place to start. What's love got to do with it, huh? Well, I'll stop by saying it has everything to do with it, and and here's, here's how. The just the, the, both from the family side, those who have are creating and have significant wealth, and from the advisory side, whether it's a, a family office, whether it's a wealth manager, a private banker, whoever it is, there's a number of things that have really aligned that I think make love – love is always important, and, but I think in the way I'm going to describe it, it's most important now – and that is there is a significant amount of wealth that we've all heard that are transferring generations now. And in particular, in the high net worth, in the ultra high net worth space, that's about $35 trillion plus out to the year 2045 of the estimates. And at least as of right now, the, the data shows that about 70% of spouses or when they're spouse passes, will not stay with the firm that is serving their financial capital. And about 70 plus percent of the adult children, the rising generation, the heirs, when wealth is transferred to them, similarly are not likely to stay with their parents' advisors in the broadest sense. On top of that, families are not sure how to navigate that process within themselves, meaning when when do they talk about wealth? Because that's kind of an awkward conversation and most parents are trying to minimize the negative impact of entitlement and other aspects of their their children, maybe not thinking they have to work anymore or pursue their goals. So you have this nexus where all this is lining up And so where love comes in is, and it's related to one of my second book, which is called Love Your Clients, and that is whole family advising. And what we mean by that is there's two principles of whole family advising anchored in this idea that you started with of love. And one is that the advisor world in the broadest sense who's serving families begins to see the family as the client, not only the person who's making the decisions or is the wealth creator. But secondarily, really, to the point of your question, is when we think about families and those that we're serving, or our own families, in addition to the wealth that's created or the company that's creating the wealth or the companies that are creating the wealth or the investments that are creating the wealth, the most important thing to most of our clients is their family, their loved ones. And to the degree the advisor and the firms are not looking at it that way, in other words, loving what their clients love or care about most, they're missing the greatest opportunity to add value and then have all the benefits of adding that value. So love is really about caring as much as you can about what your clients care about most, and that's their loved ones.
0: So I've heard those stats thrown around before, right? This huge wealth transfer that's occurring, the fact that many of these inheritors are not going to stay where their current third party professional or, you know, asset manager, wealth manager, et cetera. It seems to me that, and then you hear about what the average age of a financial advisor is, you know, which I think is like 65 years old or something like that. This seems to be like the Titanic going to the iceberg that everyone sees this coming but nobody really wants to seem to do anything about it. Why is that? Is just the industry does not want to come to terms with this reality? Or what is the challenge here that they're failing to address?
1: That's that's an insightful question, Brian. I think I'm going to oversimplify it, but I think it's going to make the point. I actually think what we're seeing over the last... Three to five years and not necessarily anything correlated with COVID or anything like that is that the institutions uh, are realizing the numbers and that they can't afford as a company, as a firm, as an institution to let those relationships that exist and the assets associated with them leave. So we're starting to see, because we do, I think you know, we do what we call whole family, we offer a whole family advisor training to the advisor world so that they have the skills and the tools to proactively become a whole family advisor and therefore minimize this risk that sits in their business. I think at the advisor level is that sometimes what we see on the other side of the continuum is the advisor saying, well, I'm, I'm already pretty successful, and as you said, I'm whatever. I'm in my 60s. I'm in my 70s. I don't. It, it's either too late, or I don't really need to worry about that per se. Not that they don't care, but they're at a different place where they might be a little bit more near term sighted than long term. And they, and then there's a, a growing number of advisors, and we're fortunate to get to see a lot of them in our work which is as a firm, as a team, as a boutique, uh, they are building into their service model or their framework on how they serve clients that their, their teams are now multi-generational. So they'll have maybe someone who's been aligning with the wealth creating, maybe, the, I mean, there's wealth creators in younger generations for sure, but they might align now. They might say these set of advisors are, are proactively going to be the ones that serve, attract, add value to the child, adult children in the next generation. So that's what we're seeing is the institutions. I think it's going to start to come and align, but it, but they're not there yet. I think there's a, a still a slow move in this direction. And it's what our, our team at Legacy Capitals talks about is that, that expression you hear where the puck's going is, you know, kind of the strategy. We believe the puck's there already. And if the advisors in the most, in the broad sense, if they're not already, they need to move to where the puck is. And that's this opportunity. Like you said, this massive Titanic of opportunity, both for the advisor world and for the family, because the family doesn't know how to do it successfully in most cases
0: yeah and i want to go to kind of the firm name that you operate under i think it's very intentional right and we're going to talk about this the first book that you wrote that i really dug into quite a bit mm-hmm. Talk about legacy capitals let's start with legacy mm-hmm. a term that gets thrown around a lot by multi-generational families or people that work in that community mm-hmm would love to hear your definition of how you all think about what legacy is.
1: Yeah, I think much, way too often legacy is associated with what do you leave behind in terms of your your portfolio of assets. That seems to be the default when people use the term legacy planning and so on. And that is, that is part of it. I've done the end of life planning too. What happens if my wife and I are not here? What do we hope happens to... Our children and our assets associated with them. But that's such a, that's an important dimension, but it's such a, if, if we stop there, we miss so much. So to your, to your question, legacy is much more about the, the memories created, the impact that your life is having on others. And that for some of the families we're serving could be a global impact or it could be as, not as focused as just their family impact. Are they, are they are they having the impact on their loved ones and their extended family in a way that will leave meaning meaning and purpose and shared values going forward? So I think legacy is is both, but it's much more about what we're not, what what imprint, what impact, what memories are we helping uh, contribute to in those that around us? Whether again, like I said, it could be a cause. It could be a global impact through a cause, how one invests their money. I mean, charitably gives their money, but I think it starts one person to the next person. I'll add one other thing to it, Brian, is we focus a lot, uh, most of our focus on legacy capitals is really not so much about end of life legacy, what happens at the end. It's we focus and serve our clients, whether it's the advisor world or the wealthy families. We are, we think it's more about helping them live their legacy. So, what are they trying to accomplish now with their resources, with their time, with their talents? Because it's how they live now is what their legacy will be. So, the idea that only looking at the end is such a limiting, non energizing way to. Talk about legacy.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, the way I've heard it put is an ultra high net worth individual who did really well financially once said that, you know, if nobody comes to Thanksgiving dinner, then what's the point? And to help put these things in perspective, how you write about what legacy is, it's more than just your estate plan and it's more than, you know, what your family foundation is going to be distributing upon your death. And you do a really nice job in the book of segueing this concept of legacy into these different levers of capital that people can, can pull. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts about how families can go beyond just financial capital to really create, that legacy for themselves and for their heirs.
1: Yeah, and you hinted at it a moment ago. So our the firm I founded is called Legacy Capitals with an S and as intentionally as you suggested it's because and and this is not my complete idea. There's the, the idea of different capitals has been in existence in different industries for a while. What I think I might have done is put them together in a way that, and then then our team offers a framework and we have some tools to support this, talking about how we have all these capitals, including what I refer to as spiritual capital. So the acronym we use is FISHES, F-I-S-H-S. And yes, the belief is that we have more than one capital. Most people think financial capital, and I understand why I've been around wealth or in the financial industry for 30 years. So I understand the attraction to that or the reflex of that. But no, we also have intellectual capital, what we've learned formally through, let's call it formal schooling, and what we've learned just from life experience, whether you're the founder of a company or a 21-year-old soon to graduate college, you have intellectual capital, that just life experience, street experience, academic experience. Then social capital, and that's the network of relationships that we're part of, whether it's family, boards, professional networks, global networks. And in those relationships, there is a lot of resources. And, and I don't, it may be financial, but that's not what I mean. Being able to call someone and get information, access, knowledge, counsel, member, mentorship. So relationships which is our social capital, is sometimes one of the most most valuable capitals that we have. And then there's the human capital, which is really kind of our own gifts, strengths, passions, wiring, our own health. How are we investing in our own human capital and leveraging our talents and bringing it back to the world and making sure we're living the legacy that we're called to live? And then spiritual capital sometimes triggers... Uh, like people get nervous with that term because it, they think it automatically means a religious set of doctrines. And for some of us, it does, but that's not how we use spiritual capital. I, as you saw in the book, Brian, I, I, I still laugh till this day that I tried to create an equation to make spiritual capital somewhat re- practically relevant. And I was driving with my wife one time and I was like, okay, how do I do this? How do I take this intangible? But basically, spare think of spiritual capital as your values plus your purpose or the purpose of your assets times your faith with a low with a, a lowercase F, or you can raise it to a capital F. But the point is there are these intangibles that are not able to be put on an Excel spreadsheet that as I make the case in my book, Legacy, is actually the GPS of our lives. That's really, whether we know it or articulate it that way, our spiritual capital is really the engine and the motivation behind much of what we do and decide. So there it is, fishes and legacy, legacy capitals. And and let me just add, when we bring that larger framework to the families we serve, it just opens up so much more possibilities of how they identify their purpose, help the non-family members who don't yet have control or ownership over wealth still feel like they have value in contributing in certain ways.
0: Yeah, there's there's one quote you use that you extrapolate upon that I think is really powerful. You say that you believe... When there is an abundance of financial capital, it is more important to keep it in perspective, therefore, ongoing investment into our spiritual capital is necessary and I found that very insightful based on the conversations I've had with some of these more substantive families that I know
1: yeah in my in my own personal experience, and I'm fairly anchored in spiritual capital it's a I'll start there, and then I'll go. I'll go broader to what I think you're really highlighting, is financial capital, especially a significant amount of it, and that's a moving target. But the families we serve, uh, you know, are the 0.0001 percent of the population. It has a gravitational pull. It, it has a force that requires attention to create it. Christ. A lot, as those wealth creators know, energy, sacrifice, risk, commitment, money to make money. And then when it's created or and growing, it requires even more attention to maintain it, keep it going, keeping it safe, perpetuating across the generations. So more often than not, when we're coming into a situation to engage with through an advisor firm with their clients or the clients directly. One of the ways I frame it sometimes, it's almost like if we think about our our solar system, the it's like the sun is the is the wealth, the financial capital, and everything else is revolving around it. And I get it. I totally get it. From a personal experience to doing the work that we do. The challenge with that is everything now gets translated and anchored to the financial capital. And I think that fundamentally does not work on the human journey. I think the idea is through an investment in the other capitals, spiritual capital being the main one, it counter it put it, it has the potential and ultimately puts the financial capital in perspective and minimizes maybe the pulling the gravity pull off course of our values, our purpose. And I like to, uh, when I'm we're working with families, I like to use that metaphor of how do we get the family into the middle of the orbit and have all, everything circling around the family so that the financial capital is supporting what the family is trying to accomplish?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a super helpful diagnosis or framework to have because I've talked about it on the show before, I think money has energy associated with it and it could be positive energy it could be negative energy but it has this like force right this gravitational pull like you put it which i think is a really apt way to describe it and if you have values and perspective and have put that work in beforehand or during right Mm -hmm. it can be a really beautiful thing but if you don't have that scaffolding It can draw in a lot of negativity and and bad energy, and we've seen those families, you know, blow up because of it. Mm -hmm. So, what is the prep work like? How do you actually go about investigating and putting forth the value system that you can create so that this corpus of assets can, you know, provide for a positive influence on the family?
1: I'll share. I'll share some of the common paths, but generally speaking, the approach is definitely bespoke to each of the clients we get to serve. But I'll give you some common paths.
0: Exceptional family offices, family enterprises, wealth management, and financial services organizations require superior leadership to successfully thrive in today's competitive environment. Building a team of talented leaders is a complex challenge that is best accomplished in partnership with a firm that offers a proven track record of success, which is why I'd like to introduce you to our new sponsor, Mac International. Mac International is recognized as the premier boutique firm that specializes in providing retained executive search and strategic human capital consulting solutions to single and multi client family offices, family enterprises, and the full spectrum of wealth management advisory, investment management, and financial services firms that serve ultra high net private investors and family offices on a national and international basis. If you're interested in learning more about Mac International, visit their website at www.macinternational.com.
1: One is, for example, we have a program, just a virtual uh, courses, sorry, virtual classes with just the the wealth creators or the wealth holders, the parents. And there's five classes that we take them through. And it's it's both kind of pre-work and some content and mostly discussion. And the five topics are, are, are rough, cover roughly these topics. How do we minimize the impact on entitlement of our children? How do we make sure that our, our family members are flourishing? In other words, having a meaningful life. How do we make sure our state plan is aligned with our values? How do we communicate about our capitals and our financial capital, our resources without necessarily needing to talk about the, we'll call it the net worth? numbers or the, intention, the potential inheritance numbers. And I say all of that to say because what, what work comes out of that program is that we're really helping the, the couple uh, align more on what is the purpose of their resources, what is, the, what is the, their core values. These are literally things that come out of the program. So we start creating a shared value statement. We have them, if they haven't had a chance yet, what is the purpose of the wealth in the world? in their community, and on their loved ones. And then what, the language we use is, what is your legacy message? Like, what are you trying to say about this? Not, what are you going to leave behind financially? So we give them sample legacy messages. We literally help them create a shared value statement. On the estate planning side, we're not attorneys. We're not tax folks. We're not, we don't manage money. But we'll help them write a letter of wishes, which is basically a non-legally binding document that gets added to the estate plan where there's discretion for the trustees. So in other words, I know that's what the trust legally says, and thank goodness we have it. But what do you mean by that? Why is not everyone getting into the family business? Or why are you only allowing access to principal and corpus is limited? Like, So it's kind of like the heart or it's like the spiritual capital behind your estate plan. So that's, those are some of the, I mean, that we do that in a particular program, but we also just do that in family engagements and we're working well, we're working with a number of very significant families right now, but early in the stages, even there's a number of families I'm thinking of that I'm, that our team is working on, I'm lead on where there's business succession, family business succession. There's four families right now. I just did two family meetings, transition oriented family meetings just this past week. Where, yes, we're talking about what is the business need? What's the skill set required to take over the business? Are the next generations going to buy it? Or, or is it going to be gifted? Is it going to be earned? All of this stuff that we all have to deal, deal with when we're serving families, with there's a succession or a continuity planning. But we're also talking about what's the purpose of the business? Is it meant to stay family-owned and family-controlled? And why? And if not, does that mean it could be sold? What's the values that you're trying to perpetuate in your children, which is why you may be thinking of them buying it and not just giving it to them? So even on a family business consultation or family engagement, there's still that question of the ultimate purpose and reason for the asset. So that therefore, we could prepare the family uh, for this transition more effectively and maybe put the right people in place as opposed to just because we share the last name Should they go into a leadership position?
0: And I think the point you made. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. very correlated to the statement you just made, which is the verbiage and the language we use around these conversations is really powerful and important because if you purely express these emotions or relationships in terms of money, then, then money or, you know, financial capital is going to be the language, the common bond that ties everybody together. And you and I both know that. At the end of the day, if it's only about the money and there's not a broader story or culture or value system put together, ultimately it will fail. It it will not be an enduring legacy. So I'd love to hear your commentary about how that relates to being able to actually find happiness and to demonstrate how you can find happiness to later generations.
1: Brian, financial capital as attractive and as as you said, so the potential of the positive impact it can have is amazing but it is not meant to satisfy our souls let me just put that out there it, that alone will never bring someone to a meaningful alone purposeful happy life so let's get a little bit into the research on happiness as you know that's one of the chapters in my book there's there's some re, there's some reason to believe so i think it's some of the research and I, I think recently Harvard published an article on it or Wharton, I forgot. But this, But basically what they find in, uh, is that after about $70,000 of annual income, something like that, give or take, there's no longer a correlation to happiness. So it doesn't mean you can't be a millionaire and insanely happy and fulfilled and meaningful. It's just saying that once you... I think what it's saying is once we get our basic needs met, then how the role of financial capital is really important and, and the perspective you keep. So in that chapter that you you might be referencing, I try to just summarize real succinctly some of the attributes that have been found in the research, which is now in major universities, very reputable universities, that is finding, okay, what contributes to a meaningful life? And so whether it's at a Wharton or Harvard, some of the attributes are achievement. So the ab- ability to accomplish something in your life, and that's really important with a lot of the clients that we serve when they're thinking about their wealth and their children, is do they unintentionally make the children's life so easy because they have the resources that the children don't have, that feeling of achievement, pursuing, and giving back, chari- the charitable side of us, being more generous, contributes to a meaningful, happy life. Gratitude, being grateful, not because we're worth significant final ca- financial capital, but because I could sit here and be happy and play sports and be with my family or whatever it is. Matter of fact, the definition. I had to create with my family. I didn't have to because we have three children. They would say, are we rich? And they'd ask, they kind of tease me because they know the work I do. And, And so we came up with a definition. And that is, do you have your health? Do you have people who love you? And if you could say yes to both of those, then you're rich. If you also have a lot of financial capital, then it's icing on the cake. So they tease me every once in a while. There's two teenagers and then 20 something year old. And and when they ask that question, they'll go, no, no, dad, not that definition. Are we rich? They want to know the money question. But I highlight that because I think gratitude, being able to be grateful for what is from a health perspective, a relationship perspective, and financial capital, and the experiences that families get to share in that have a lot of resources, achievement, giving back, being connected to a higher purpose. That goes back to that has a connection back to the idea of spiritual capital. These are the behaviors, these are the practices that will help us have a more meaningful life. And then ultimately, Brian, going back to what you and I talked about before, maybe keep that financial capital in a better perspective.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, you should do such a good job of outlining this in the book. And it's interesting. You, when I was reading the happiness chapter, I'm listening to Arthur Brooks, who's, he writes an article in 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 The Atlantic, and he's a professor at Harvard, teaches a, a course at HBS, and you hit on all of the themes that he hits on in terms of how to create happiness. You know, it's one of those things where it can be a difficult conversation to have because From the outside, a lot of people see these families and they see a lot of zeros and they just assume that, gosh, they must have everything and all these material goods. When you and I have both been behind those boardroom doors or, you know, interact with some of these family members. And I mean, they're, they're pretty miserable, broken people in a lot of ways. So I guess my question is, you talk about like from the estate perspective preparing families to inherit this money from a tax and legal standpoint but how do you put in this other work so that these inheritors of wealth don't also inherit unhappiness or some of this brokenness that you and i've seen in many families
1: yeah and just to this larger point you're raising when i first started to write the book legacy which is the one you're referring to i didn't i didn't have any plans to put a chapter on happiness in there but but from literally like you said sitting at the boardroom table or the kitchen table with so many couples so many parents whether they were gen 1 wealth or gen 4 wealth it was at the heart of it is yes, they wanted to be good stewards of the financial capital that they put their blood, sweat, and tears to create and grow, but it was ultimately about like how do we just make sure these kids and my and all and future generations are living a meaningful life. And that's what really fed that chapter. So you know, in our it's a very good question, in our engagements with families, when we earn that right to be brought into a family, whether we're we're going to do a multi-generational family retreat with them. Whether we're going to focus on wealth transition, whether we're going to focus on business transition, like a family business, or take a couple of these courses, a programs that we have referring that I referred to earlier. I think, although we we adapt to where the family's at and what they're ready to speak about, what you know, what's kind of pressing for them, we're definitely going to orient ourselves towards that. But we're going to bring it back or add on this idea of purpose and values and mission and vision. Matter of fact, we draw a parallel in many cases to companies, especially that a lot of the people were serving, their wealth was created either because they were a senior executive or they were a founder or both. And I say, think about you know your company or think about successful companies. They, they usually have a vision. They usually have a mission statement. They usually have some principles and values that could be on the wall of every floor. And I mean, I worked inside of corporate America. They have strategy meetings, they have leadership development, they have communication strategies. And I say that's exactly what's needed for some of these families, which is we call it the, the business of being family. So sometimes just drawing that analogy or that parallel for them, clicks, got it. So now we're that we're the family enterprise. That's one way we do it from a framework and a, and, and a paradigm of just setting the stage for who they are and... What it's going to take for them to flourish, and then more tactically, we have a, for example, we have a tool called the legacy planning tool. It's three or f- three or four pages of, it's like a, it's a workbook, and it and we give it to the parents in this case or the grandparents, depending on what set of generations we're working with, and there and we're taking them through ten to twenty questions that are more that are related more to what you and I are talking about. They're not like how much you worth and how much you're going to pass down although that might be part of a conversation but it's more about how are you thinking about passing on your wealth is it equal do your children know their trustees how much percentage wise you think might go to charity versus family is your family involved in philanthropy all these other broader fishes capital oriented questions and it really helps them be much more intentional about what they're trying to accomplish. So we have tactical ways of doing it through certain tools. And then there's a larger framework, that whether it's the Fishes framework, whether it's the framework I mentioned of uh, drawing a parallel to business, being the business of the family. Those are some of the broader and more tactical ways that we actually go about this. And in some cases, I'll just wrap up on this point. There's a couple of families we've served in the last six to 12 months where they had an estate plan and they decided to refresh it and update it because after going through the process with us, they acknowledged that, and understandably, the estate plan was largely written to protect the assets, title them correctly, keep them in the bloodline, all of that, which is exactly what it should be doing. But it missed some of what the the parents didn't know that they really wanted to make sure happened in the estate plan. And they'll go back and refresh it. And we have two families that said, Would you stay in those conversations with us, with our estate attorneys, because they speak a language that we don't know, and they want me to help bridge, like, okay, here's what we learned while working with you. How do we make sure the attorney is putting that into the documents? So it's it's kind of sweet when we get to be invited into that, either updating or refreshing of an estate plan. Again, not because we're legal people, but we know what the family's trying to accomplish, and then we just try to bridge that over into the documents.
0: Right. And and this is a point that I make a lot when I interact with families or have folks on the show who are in your world is it's it's very it's atypical for it to be the quantitative stuff that gets families in trouble, right? I mean, people typically know that they need to have a really good trust in the state attorney, a really good tax accountant and consultants on that side of the business, but it's the qualitative issues of having a family therapist, having a stipend so that everyone in the family can have their own independent talk therapy sessions on a weekly basis. It's nice to see the conversation changing so that consultants like yours who don't manage assets that aren't subject matter experts in trust in the state or tax are part of this broader conversation. I think there's a realization that that has to be part of your budget if you're going to Endure and and survives. And have, have you seen this culture change as well in your work with families?
1: Yeah, fortunately, and I don't want to. I want to be careful not to sound too biased in this, but he, just I got a call yesterday from a very reputable a private wealth advisor from a very reputable firm, and and he this was his words. One of our largest families, nine figures, is going to be selling their business or transferring, or not transferring, moving their business to the next generation. And he said in so many words, they have all that they have all of those professionals you talked about around them. But we believe that they also need kind of like the family consultation and coaching and work that your firm needs. So he wants to present us. To the family, another we, two other families we're working right now. Um, but there's more than this. But two two that come to mind right now that we are an ex- we are now part of their family office in the way that they're seeing us. So they might have their wealth advisors, their their as you said, all their all their professional technical oriented advisors who do amazing work. But there's this piece that's missing. That is 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 what we call preparing the family for their assets, not just preparing the assets for the family. And so, yeah, I think it's it's early, but we are now becoming an extension of the uh, the trusted advisor team. And sometimes it's literally the family office we become an extension of, but just in the broader sense, the family, the trusted advisor team for the family. As an example of how it's showing up with one of the families, is because of our work with them. We, we identified an opportunity, which was they weren't having what we call owner's meetings, meaning all of the family members across the generations that are owners, they're not all in the operation, the operating business, but they all have, a, they all have an ownership, however small it is, and that there's a responsibility that goes with that, especially with the parents, in this case, wanting leaders and stewards to rise up to continue this for a hundred years, we now run their, and we suggested it. They, they said, "Great idea." We now not only was it was an idea, but we run their owners' meetings. And so, what we do is we're the chairperson. We organize it. We facilitate it. But their their other advisors are the ones in the room presenting to the family, so that the family knows their whole advisor to all the family members as owners know who are all the key advisors in the life of the family. And it's great for the advisors because they're, d- they're developing deeper and broader relationships across the family tree. And it's great for the family because it's equipping the subsequent generations of owners to know who's who and to also learn what do they have to learn more about to be a good leader or steward of that family's uh, enterprise one day.
0: Yeah, it's encouraging to see that sea change. I mean, I think you'll see more of that as this leadership transition from baby boomer to millennial Gen Z occurs. There's a greater a greater awareness. I think that we need to bring in experts on the emotional intelligence side and the you know wellness side if we're going to have a holistic kind of family approach. Mm-hmm. And a question to kind of round out the conversation, because I know giving is a big part of how you think about working with families, what is your definition of philanthropy?
1: Well, the actual definition of philanthropy is the love and welfare and well-being of others. And as you probably know from looking at my book, that is how I set the stage in my philanthropy chapter. And the reason why I do that is, again, it kind of correlates to what I said earlier around When there's significant financial capital, and again, it's not that I don't understand this. It's not like I'm rose-colored glasses. There's a lot of focus on philanthropy being 100% synonymous with our financial assets being donated or shared or given. And that's incredibly important because people need resources or what resources can create to benefit others or solve global issues or local issues. But- I think the broader definition, which has more relevance or let me say additional relevance and practical application to the rest of the family is really this idea of, and this is not my idea, the idea of not only thinking about philanthropy as how do we as a family, I use this language, we use this language on my team in Legacy Capitals and I use it with my family is, how do we love on others more? And so that could be writing a check, that could be putting in time. That could be just putting your arm around them. It could be connecting them to someone that gets them access to a better doctor than they have now. Right? So, philanthropy is, if we have that orientation, I think it's way more empowering to the rest of the family members who are not the wealth holders and wealth creators. And so, commonly, as a matter of fact, I'm preparing, our team is preparing for another multi gen family meeting in a couple of uh, about three weeks. We're going to have all the family members bring to the meeting their ideas on how they could do philanthropy together. And we offer, we ask them to think it through time, talent, and treasure. That's not our idea. I wish I came up with it, but someone gets credit for that. But if they come to the meeting with I, their best ideas for how we could, through time, giving of time, love on others, through our talents, what if it's a 16-year-old who's really good at soccer, Maybe she volunteers or he volunteers as time to help some of the kids in the neighborhood or go to an area where there's not a lot of resources and you could, right? So we time, talent, and then treasure. And the treasure is usually, it is the financial capital. And that's usually where not everyone in the family is making their decisions around. So that then creates an opportunity, depending on the readiness of the parents and the ages of the children, that is there a certain portion of the giving in that year that'll be allocated to with some guidelines and guardrails, what their next generation can give to. So philanthropy is really about loving on others, the welfare of others, the well-being of others. And financial capital is clearly one way to do that. But time, talent and treasure is a more effective way to think about philanthropy, especially when serving families.
0: Richard, I wanna thank you for coming on. It's an awesome conversation. I've gotten to know a number of your colleagues you all are doing tremendous work and it's much needed in the space. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please do leave us a review and a rating. Let us know the favorite part of your conversation. Richard, if people are interested in connecting with you, families, legacy, legacy capitals, what's the best way for them to learn more?
1: Go to legacycapitals with an S.com. You'll learn more about us, but there's also a way to contact us. And then a direct phone number would be 609 nine one seven zero one six one and brian i want to thank you and your team uh for the not only this opportunity but your the thoughtfulness i could i can hear and feel in your questions that you care about bringing value to your marketplace your audience your clients so thank you
0: keep up to check out the book it's really good well worth your time richard We ask everyone who comes on the show a final question, but because I know a little bit more about you, you get a bonus question. So first question, do you have a daily practice that helps bring peace to your lives?
1: Almost every morning and, and many times while I'm walking my dog is to have quiet time, meditation and prayer and asking God for the, my guidance and energy and who to love in this day, and I did it this morning. So, yeah, that's pretty much almost every morning and commonly when I'm walking my dog.
0: I love it. And the bonus question, you and I are both New Yorkers. I grew up a huge Giants fan. My dad is from Northern Jersey. You're a Men guy. Are the Giants going to make the playoffs this year?
1: I got to know. They just took a beating last night, didn't they? Yeah, they did. <laughs> I got to say, yes, I got I to gotta, I gotta put positive energy out there they got to make the playoffs. They just paid the quarterback what 160 million over four years. They they got to produce some wins. So I'm going to have to go with yes. Let's make it. Let's go blue.
0: You're you're the the only positive New York fan I know. Everyone else is already telling <laughs> me to like fire fire everybody, cut everybody, dumpster fire it. You know, typical New York style. It to your point. We're recording this on a Friday. The Giants played last night. I had the opportunity to explain to my ten-year-old what what an underdog was and a spread.
1: So you know, so it's uh, brutal. Yeah, brutal. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you again for joining us. Really appreciate the opportunity, and definitely encourage people to reach out, learn more about the firm, check out the books you're writing, and all the work you're all doing. So keep it up. Thank you for joining us for today's conversation on the Capital Club podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, rate and leave us a review. And please follow us on your favorite streaming platform so you never miss an episode.